So I'm going to ask you to stand and let's agree together. He's the great physician. She doesn't need a new heart. She just needs it healed, right? Father, we take this time right now, and there's so much power, your power, Lord, that's released when your children come to you in faith and believe. Lord, we ask that you would mend this heart. Remove that hole, Lord. Give her a heart of flesh. Give her a strong and powerful heart, Lord. Be glorified in this, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me in your, your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Part 2 of our... Actually, part 3, but part 2 of this chapter. So we started last week in the demonstrational gifts. As you know, the motivational gifts are in chapter 12, and therefore the purpose, they're like the general gifts given to the body, and then these are more unique in that they're more individual in the sense that we are members of the body of Christ individually. Spiritual gifts are given to empower us for the service. Actually, I believe with all my heart that the presence of the gifts within the body give evidence of God's work within that church. It produces an incredible fruit. It produces praise and worship. You know, everyone in this room has the capacity to exercise a spiritual gift because you've all received one. It's something that you individually must seek out. You can't get it from a pastor or a church leader. This is something that's given to you at spiritual birth, and it's something that's discovered as you walk with the Lord, as you seek Him. This is why Paul told them to be zealous for spiritual gifts. You have to seek it. You have to want it. It's not the casual inquirer that receives. It's the diligent seeker. That's the person who's blessed. At the end of this service here, we want to have an opportunity for all to just receive an extra measure of God's Spirit. We all need the Spirit of God. You remember Joshua coming to Moses. Hey, Moses, the, there's, there's people prophesying in the camp. and Should we stop them? What was Moses' response? Would to God that all his people would prophesy. Would to God that we were all overflowing with the Spirit of God, doing the work of God. This is the objective here. So as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, because there's a problem in the church. I thank God for the Corinthian church, because seeing their issues gives me hope as a pastor. <laughs> gives me hope that, that you don't have to be a perfect church. There's no such thing. You, 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 if you find a perfect church, please don't join it. You'll mess it up. And so this is a corrective epistle. He's correcting some of the issues that were going on there. And so I'm going to read through the first 11 verses once again. Uh, shall we st- stand with me as I read these 11 verses? Now concerning spirituals, 
brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all and in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge and to, through the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. You may be seated. Just a, a revisit for some of you who were not here last week and haven't had time or taken the time uh, to listen to the previous message, just skipping uh, into the last six of these. And before I do so, because we just covered the first three of this list, uh, three words and three scriptures that are noted here uh, of importance. In, chap- in verse 1, the word spiritual, and then it has spiritual gifts. You notice that that's italicized. Gifts is italicized. It's not there. So what he's talking about is the spirituals. What are they? they this, the spirituals are uh, the, the way in which God's Spirit ministers to us and through us. We connect with God in the Spirit. Jesus said there will be coming a time when those that worship God will worship God in spirit and in truth. And so we make the connection with God through the Spirit. These are things that relate to the Spirit. It's our totally a relationship-based setup here. Uh, pneumaticus is the word used here. And then another important word is the word gifts, and it is used there in verse 4. Therefore, there are diversities of gifts. That word there is charisma or the anointing. Literally, it means smearing. You've all been smeared <laughs> with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, when the elder comes up to you and he anoints you with oil, you just... <laughs> well, of course, we're, we're kind of gentle. You know, a little, little dab. Not so in the Old Testament, right? They, had, they broke out the horn. You know, it ran down, down on Aaron's face, his beard all over the place. The idea is it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And God gets all of you. See, that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's not that you get all of God, but God gets all of you. And this is the idea behind the work of the Spirit. And then we have this, according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, says, but you have an anointing, charisma, from the Holy One, and you know all things. That's, again, the work of the Holy Spirit. You want to understand, and I would encourage every one of us, not only do you need to have devotions in your life, but you need to be a student of the Word of God. Devotions are very important, and I think the Bible should be taught devotionally. And, and you have to, but you need to be a student of the Word. 
dig into it. Get a, a word, you know, a Strong's and just compare Scripture with Scripture. Look up words and the meanings of words. Become a student of God. Deepen your walk with God. You have this anointing in your life. Verse 27 of First John 2 says, The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. This is the beautiful thing. You're, the Holy Spirit becomes your, your instructor. And that's why you don't need to really go to a pastor or a priest or an elder to receive a gift from God. The Holy Spirit is working with you individually to reveal to you your purpose, your destiny, how you are to image God, the mission that He's called and ordained for you. And so, just a quick review. What do we know from what our studies have been in regards to the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that we received the Holy Spirit at salvation. And we know that the purpose of the baptism is to give us power, energy. We're energized by the Spirit to do His work. We know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to fight the spiritual warfare that we're about because there is an enemy that has a target on you. He hates you beyond the hatred you could ever imagine. It's beyond psychopathic hatred. It is unbelievable. The evilness of evil cannot be comprehended by mankind, but it is there, and he hates. And we have to fight the spiritual battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. They're supernatural to the pulling down of strongholds. When you begin to move in the spirit, you better you will find out what warfare is about and not to be intimidated by it. He tries to intimidate and invoke fear. But those who are righteous by the blood of Christ, we, those of us who stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ are as bold as lions. We're not intimidated by demons. We rebuke them. And we stand the ground that God has taken for us in the person of Jesus Christ. We have this anointing. We have this baptism that is available. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given to us that we overflow with the love of God. There's people that you, in the flesh, you just, oh, I just, oh, I can't stand that person. But when God's love gets a hold of your heart, you're able to look beyond all that, you know, and just love them. Because you realize, you know, you yourself were blind. You yourself have sinned against God. You yourself deserve punishment. And so you realize that they are as, as stuck in the mud as you were in the mire. And so you're able to love because the Spirit of God overflows in your heart. And then this overflow gives us the ability to cooperate and operate in the spiritual gifts. And so people ask, how do you receive this? How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's just like receiving salvation. You just simply ask. If you ask God for His Spirit, He will give you His Spirit. And so the other word that's important here is the word translated into English in verse 9 is gifts, but is the, the charismata. No, and this is really what the list is. It's the charismata. It's the spiritual endowment to give us supernatural energy. And so Paul starts out this whole thing by 
Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. And I think this is really where the church is at today. There's a lack of teaching on these things. And I don't want the people in, in this church to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. But these people were ignorant. They didn't understand the spiritual. They didn't understand what, what God's purpose and plans were for their lives. So, yet, yet they had everything materially that you would ever want. Corinth was a very wealthy city. It was a, a trade city, a port city. There was a lot of trade going on, economically prosperous. And these people really grew fast. There was a lot of activity in the church. Spiritual gifts were, were being used, but they, because of their ignorance, they were abusing the gifts, much like we've seen in, uh, in the church today. So Paul is using this corrective epistle to enlighten people so that they wouldn't be ignorant, nor would they be intimidated by the use of the gifts. And see, this is what I see when we, there's abuse of the gifts. And people prance around on, on stages and you know, claim that they're these great healers and they you know, are you know, getting all emotional and crazy about things, which is my view and perspective of it. It causes people who... who don't really know to just back off. And it, it's intimidating. You mean if something, if I, if I get a gift, I'm going to have to act like that? <laughs> well, I, I don't think I want a gift. You know, that's sort of how we react to, to weirdness, which we might consider weirdness. But it doesn't take away from the authenticity of the gift or the need for the gifts. And this is why, again, they're so personal. Sometimes it's because the people who receive the gift, there's a growing in the gift. There's a maturation that takes place. And, and when, when the Spirit of and let's face it, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, man, it's a pretty incredible experience. And to, to see that God can actually work through you and, and touch people's lives, it's like, whoa. It, it, it's, it can be intimidating. It can be sort of unsettling, you know, because you're not in control. It's God doing the work. And so, but we need to, to grow. And not be intimidated by that because it's the gifts of the, of the Spirit are given to edify the church. I don't know about you, but we need to be built up. You go out there all, all through the week and you get beat up. You get exposed to things. You get contaminated by the world. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go on. And so when you come to church, it's a time to be built up and strengthened and healed, sort of. You know, it's like a spiritual hospital. And so theologian and Greek scholar Herman Kramer put it this way. Natural powers thinking in terms of human talent, the context here, uh, are useless to the life of the body. If, if that, in, in, in what he's saying here, without reading the whole thing of what I pulled out from him, is that, yes, we have human talent. We have natural abilities that are, God enhances and uses. But that alone is not sufficient for the work of the ministry. We need supernatural endowment from heaven. And so they are useless to the body of Christ. What, needs and what it needs must, like itself, be spiritual. The charismata, then, may be defined as powers and capacities necessary for the edification of the church. It is bestowed by the Holy Spirit upon its members, in virtue of which they are enabled to employ their natural abilities in the service of the church and are endowed with new abilities for this purpose. And so that sort of, again, capitalizes what I've been saying. And so we're going to continue now. Uh, we've covered the first set of three, which I referred to last week as the revelation gifts. 
word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. That is the power for us in the body of Christ to know what God is saying, what God wants us to know that we otherwise couldn't know. They're given to inform. And then the second set of three are gifts that are for power. They are energy. That is to get a job done, to accomplish something. That is faith, healings, and the working of miracles. This is a true manifestation of God's power. Not man's, but God's power. And then the last set of three that we'll cover this morning is the communication gifts, the power to speak, prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And so let's kind of just walk through this. And to some degree, this is sort of an information session. It's, it's instruction, but uh, you need to be familiar with these. I would encourage you to take time. Read through Romans 12. Take the sheet off the kiosk there and understand you know, these motivational gifts. And then, and then also these gifts that are here, these demonstrative, these demonstrational gifts that given to us individually within the church. And so, uh, what is it you have for me, Lord? I'll take this time to share uh, a little personal experience because sometimes you're like, well, you have nothing in your past history to judge. How is this supposed to like play out my life, Pastor? I mean, I want this. I, I, I know I need it. I believe you. I believe what the Word of God says. So, I had only been saved for a short time, and uh, I went to a church service, and the, the pastor gave it an altar call. It was, you know, come down, give your life to Jesus, and I'd already done that, but I felt like I was being drawn to go down there, and I had no idea. I, was, I didn't know Christian lingo. I didn't know half of what I'm talking about, you know, here. I mean, the gifts. Well, gifts of the Spirit, what's that? I, I, you, you, I, wouldn't, I didn't know what it was hardly to be a Christian, you know. I just knew I found God, and he found me. And so I went down, an 18-year-old young man, and I went down front, and the, you know, they were worshiping, the congregation was worshiping, and, the, and I, I just held out my hands like this. And then all of a sudden tears started coming. I was just coming down my cheeks. I remember it like it was yesterday. And then there were tears of joy from my st- stomach area, the middle of, like when you cry, you know, when you really cry, it's not up here so much as, but when you're convulsing, it's from your gut, right? You know what I'm talking about. In that region, it be, it was like Jesus is talking about in chapter 7 of John. From his innermost being shall gush forth torrents of living water. Now, I hadn't, I didn't know that scripture, but I've just... All I was saying in my mind was, Lord, I want to serve you. Here's my life. I want to serve you. That simple. That's all it takes. It was, it's called full surrender. Just, here I am. I want, to, I want this. I had no idea about these gifts. I still don't know a lot about them, but I can tell you about them. I've exercised some of them. Uh, and, and sometimes you do it without even knowing that you're exercising them. That's how God works so often. Because by nature, we're all glory thieves. We would take what God does and try to take credit for what God does, and, and he will not share his glory with another. So sometimes God does things so that we're sometimes unconsciously 
we're just not aware of what God's doing, and that's a good thing. So let's go through the, the list here, and I'll move kind of rapid uh, in a sense because, again, you need to seek this out on your own uh, to find out what God wants, how God wants to use you. But let's look at the gift of faith. It's the convic- what is faith? It is conviction of truth. It's a power gift. It is a gift here to do something. God wants to do something, so he imparts faith. Uh, this is just a, a confidence given from God to, to do miracles. It's, it's sort of like an impulse that just comes from the Spirit. It's different than saving faith. You know, this is what it says in Ephesians 2, right? Uh, you're all saved by faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And then we have also in this in Galatians the fruit of the spirit, and that is uh, one of the fruits that we have faith. Now this gift is different th- than that. It's not the same, but all faith is the same in nature. What we're talking about here is the degree. Somehow, when this gift is employed and given by the spirit, it is above and beyond what that person normally lives in. And we see this uh, happen throughout Scripture. Um, I believe it actually allows other gifts that we're going to be talking here to work. So in order for the healing to take place, there needs to be the faith to operate that gift. In order for a it to result in a miracle, it needs to be exercised in faith. So these three sort of work in unison uh, together to manifest the glory of God. This is what it's after, uh, what God is after. He wants to be glorified and his people edified. Elijah exercised this gift. Elisha exercised this gift. First uh, Kings 17 through 19, we have lots of great stories there about Elijah you know, Mount Carmel's great. He's been assigned by God to take out the prophets of Baal. And so he goes, you know, get your bull and let's have a worship service. You offer your God uh, to your God, and we're going to find out who's the real God here. I mean, this is gutsy. You guys, you Israelites haven't figured out who you want to serve. You want to serve the devil or do you want to serve God? Make up your mind. Why are you going to continue to vacillate back and forth? You know, just can't make up their minds. So Elijah is sent by God to challenge them. And you know the story. Whoever, whoever's God comes down by fire and accepts the offering, we'll know that he's the living and true God. Okay, cool, deal. So they cut up the sacrifice and they call on their God all day long. Nothing happens. They begin to cut themselves and bleed all over. and Nothing happens. And he, by that time, Elijah's getting a little sunburned and a little bit tired of it. And so he starts mocking them. Oh, this guy. I'm going to enjoy spending a little time with him, actually. And then he finally, you know, they're living for three and a half years or so without water, drought. And so he has them bring water, a precious commodity, dumps it on the offering. He dug a trench around the altar and dumped some more on. 
three times, dumped some more on, filled the trench, and then he got down on his face before God and he asked God to show himself. Yeah. And then it was displayed who was the true. This is, again, an exercise of faith, an extra measure of faith. Jesus obviously exercised this gift. Now, if you think, well, he's Jesus. I mean, he's God, yes, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit at the baptism. He was anointed for service, just like any man who is called by God is anointed for service. And so everything that Jesus did was through the power of the Holy Spirit, as I've said before. But according to uh, John 3, uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse 34, Jesus received the measure uh, of the Spirit, or w- he received the Spirit without measure. He didn't, ha- and he, you know, the thing with Jesus, he didn't have a fallen nature that got in the way. It could just freely flow. And so, but he did th- still things as the Spirit was led, as he was led by the Spirit and anointed uh, by the Father to do so. And then, of course, we see this. That's why the book of Acts is so important. It's sort of like the blueprint that we fall back on. And how did, how did God work through those people in the early church? It wasn't always just the apostles or the prophets that were doing things, miraculous things. There were other men that God anointed. So you can see that it is, it is diverse and it's spread across the body of Christ. Peter, of course, in Acts 3, going up to the temple, he somehow gets the impulse that this guy, God wants to heal this guy that's been there for a a long time. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. You know, rise up and walk and boom. You know, that's that's faith. That's what the gift of faith will do. Paul exercised that. They were about to drown on his way to Rome. You know, that's what the Lord said, you're going to go to Rome. So... I can't, the boat can't sink. And then the Lord said, look, I'm with you. You're going to survive. Here's what you, everybody needs to stay in the boat though. And he, and this is Acts 27. So Paul had a measure of faith. Everybody else thought they were, it was over. They were in there working their beads and everything else, you know, at that point. But Paul says, look, I believe God. Doesn't look like we're going to survive, but we are. And he stood and it happened. In the Old Testament, we have Caleb. What made him so different? Why did he have faith? God gave it to him. Numbers 13.30 said he had a different spirit than the other 10 of the 12 spies. Him and Joshua were of a different spirit. And so this is not intellect. This is, this is the, the inner man that he's talking about. Caleb had a different kind of spirit. And he quieted the people and he said, look, we can do this because God is with us. We can go up and take possession. We can overcome. And then later on in Joshua, he got what God promised to him. But he, had, he was willing, he, it says there in, in chapter 14 uh, of uh, Numbers that he fully followed the Lord. You see, you begin to see that this whole thing of working in the Spirit Working in the gifts comes about through a person's life that is totally given over. It's a full surrender. You, you, and I think it's very possible for a person to become fully surrendered, operate in the gifts, get comfortable in them, and 
and then even become carnal after that. that. And so I think that's how some of this weirdness happens. People sort of get cavalier about the use of the gifts. And Lord, help us to keep us from that kind of pride. Because these gifts are, to, are, are, they are gifts and are to be handled with the fear of the Lord in mind. The idea to, what do I mean when I talk about full surrender and commitment and that kind of thing? It simply means you're not resisting the Spirit. This is the big sin of the Pharisees. This is what Stephen called them out on. You and your forefathers always resist the Holy Spirit. That's not a good thing to do, by the way. I'm not allowing God to do the work in my heart that he wants to do so that he can share his love and his life with me. That's what it means to resist. I'm, I'm, hold, I'm putting the brakes on. The other thing we can do is we can quench the spirit. The spirit begins to move and, he, and then we get, we, we get scared or we're apprehensive or like, uh, or like we have to kind of control it. That's quenching the spirit. God is a person. He knows what he's doing and you just let him do his work. And so that's how we keep from quenching the Spirit. And then the other thing is we don't grieve the Spirit. Those are three things that can happen that can stop this flow of God's work through your life. You can resist the Spirit, you can quench the Spirit, or you can grieve the Spirit. You can grieve the Spirit through defiling yourself. This is what the law was all about. You know this. God's law distinguished between the clean and the unclean, between the holy and the unholy. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. This is sacred. It's set apart only for the use of worship in the temple, and it's not for common use. And you learn to discern those kinds of things in your Christian walk. There are certain things you should not watch. You should not see with your eyes. And when you see something, you can't unsee it. There are certain things you should not hear. And so you should not, because you can't unhear it. And so you, that's my responsibility is to train my vessel Discipline myself so that I don't do those things that grieve the Spirit. Now, if we grieve the Spirit, we can quickly admit it, confess it, and God will restore. But it hinders the work when we have to go through that process. It's a sort of a waste of time. To, you know, you, you've washed your hands, you've cleansed yourself, and then you go out and play in the mud. You know, you just, you, now you've got to go back in and clean up, right? This is what we're talking about here. So don't resist the Spirit, don't quench the Spirit, and don't grieve the Spirit. George Mueller was a modern-day example of this gift of faith. I love this quote here. It says, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. There's our responsibility, and that's the possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. When you've done all you can do, and you've been obedient, to, and, and you realize that this is way beyond you, then that's when God can step in. And that's the point so often that God has to drive us to so he can do the work. There's, uh, of course, in George Mueller's life, he lived in the 1800s, so not too far back, uh, tremendous miracles of provision for the orphanage. In fact, I would encourage you to read uh, some of his autobiography or biography, just incredible. His direction and hearing from the Lord, learning to wait upon God, hearing what God wanted him to do and following through when it looked impossible for those things to happen. And then moving on from the gift of faith to the gift of healings. Notice there that it's plural. The gifts are plural and the healings are plural. And I would gather from that is that 
each time there is a healing, it is, it's like a separate gift. There's, and there's different kinds of healings that need to take place because there's different kinds of diseases that people have. Um, but what, did it, what is it? It is the power to cure. What it is not is the ultimate power to heal at will. I have a brother that works in this gift, good brother, known him for over 30 years. And he prays for a lot of people and a lot of people have been healed throughout the world. He's gone around the world to various countries and God uses him in this way. Uh, but he, 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 it doesn't happen at will. He just prays and that's up the, whatever happens after that is up to God. That's how he looks at it. And that's really how you need to look at these gifts. I'm going to step on faith because I think this is what God wants to do and we'll just see what happens. You know, Jesus healed a lot of people that came to him. But there were some places that he went that he couldn't do miracles because of the faith of the people. So there's, when things don't happen, there's probably a reason for it. But it's not for us to really know. We can't lay blame. Well, the reason why we prayed for you and you weren't healed is because you don't have enough faith. You don't know that. I don't know that. And that's very unloving to lay that onto someone. Especially if they're hurting and they're, they're really needing to be healed and they want to be healed. And then you pray for them and they aren't healed. And then you lay on them, well, if you just had more faith, brother, you'd be healed. <laughs> that's cruel. But there is reasons that maybe they're not healed. I prayed for my brother. He died. Well, was, was there sin in my brother's life? Probably. Was there sin in my life? Probably. But we're talking about degrees of sanctification at that point because we're all under the blood, right? It was God's healing took place when he took him home, if you want to look at it that way. So we win either way, and that's good. But I don't think it's uh, for us to try to figure it out. There's no formula. It's just an exercise of faith. God tells you to pray for someone. Just, hey, it's all the pressure's off. It's not on you. It's not on me. It's on God. And your will be done. And well, if, you should never say if. Well, why not? Do you have all knowledge where you know exactly that this is what God wants? <laughs> well, I, you might. Well, bless your heart. I don't know that I have that. That hasn't happened to me like that yet. So I'm leaving it, and, and this is just the way I, I'm built, and, and you, however you're built's fine. Lord, your, your will be done always. I'm always going to assume that God wants to heal. Why? Because we're, we're living in a cursed world, we have a cursed body, and it's, not a, it's, not, it's hard sledding down here. And we need healed. We need blessed by God. And we're needy people. And our God is compassionate and he's gracious and he's merciful. So I'm going to take that framework when I pray for someone, I'm just going to assume that God, every time I pray that he wants to heal. If I pray for someone for three times, as Paul prayed three times about his thorn in the flesh going away and nothing happens, well then God has something else in mind. Usually after a number of times of praying, you get a feel like, okay, this is what, there's something else going on here and whatever it is, God will give me grace to make it through. So you see, uh, these things uh, aren't really that difficult. Sometimes they just, we just need to sort some things out here. You see this throughout the scripture as far as healings. You know, taking up serpents and getting bit by serpents and not dying. You know, that's sort of 
That's sort of miraculous, I think. You know, Paul uh, gets bit by a snake and he shakes it off into the fire. <laughs> he didn't die. He's a hey, you know, I love people. I love, don't, don't you love human nature? He's a criminal. He's probably a murderer. That's why that snake bit him. Then he shakes it off and nothing happens. He's, no, he's a god. <laughs> you know, it's a fickle crowd, right? Crazy. But, you know, you look through the book of Acts, it's pretty crazy. You know, just the shadow of Peter walking by, people like, I believe, poof, you know, God heals. You know, I think I find it a little bit, I don't know, disingenuous, really. You know, these guys are sending their little prayer claws out through the, the mail. You know, in Acts 19, you know, Paul, God used the Apostle Paul to do unusual miracles, it says. Uh, even the handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left the people. And it really what it comes down to is people believe. Sometimes there is a physical thing, a, a point of contact, so to speak, where God, if I do this, then I believe. Like, for example, the woman who had the issue. If I can just touch the hem of his garment. Why, why couldn't she, you know, it's a crowd. She's, she's having to break through the crowd to get to Jesus. Why can't she just, Lord, I believe? In her mind, in her heart, the way she was constructed in her thoughts, I need to touch the hem of his garment. If I do that, there's something tied into the, what the high priest and some of the, the things that are tied there. So they were taught symbolism and other things there. I'm, I'm not going to leave that out. But that was her point of contact. And God, through the Lord Jesus, healed her. So sometimes we need a point of contact. So that's what may be going on here. That's why it is important to come forward sometimes and have someone lay hands on you and anoint you with oil and pray for you. That can be a point of contact. And we've seen lots of good things happen uh, through that. What we do see in the scriptures is that some people have, that have this gift or are used by God to exercise this gift, uh, to some people that have a greater degree of effectiveness, so to speak. It may be because their faith is a little bit greater uh, in their exercise uh, in this uh, giftedness. It results in, in great things being done. And then, of course, we read in James 5.16, all can pray. I think everyone can pray for people to be healed. You, you don't necessarily have to recognize yourself as having this gift. You can lay hands on someone and you can pray for them and God will hear your prayer. But that's a good verse to read, James five sixteen. The idea is effective, fervent prayer is what we're after here. And then the working of miracles. Uh, again, this is, you know, the gift of faith, a healing takes place. It's a profound miracle. And uh, so what is a miracle? It's something that contradicts what we, our natural laws, the scientific laws that we uh, have sort of know are, are true. And, and somehow something's happened that it's overridden these natural laws. It's beyond this world. So we recognize it as an act of God. And so these miracles were... In the New, in New Testament, the Acts were sign gifts. And Jesus did these, as it says, these were signs. 
They were, just, they were there to confirm him as Messiah, to confirm the word of God that he was speaking to the people. And so I think signs and wonders should follow those who believe. I mean, that's what the scripture says. Changed lives are miracles. Healings are miracles. Provision is miracle. Acts 8, Philip, he was not a, one of the apostles. He went down and he cast out demons he healed people that were paralyzed and lame. And the result of it is great joy. And this is, the, again, the fruit of the operation of the gifts when they're done in a way that God is glorified. These supernatural results cause us to glorify God. Now, prophecy, these last three are the communication gifts. won't spend a lot of time on them, but prophecy is some, from the word prophetes, uh, Two words, pro, which means before, and forth. So one who speaks forth. And the idea is speaking forth the word of God. Doesn't always, doesn't necessarily mean they're predicting the future, though it can have future type things involved. This is going to happen. Deuteronomy 18.18 is important. The Lord says, I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren like unto you. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak unto them all that I command him. Jesus was this prophet. So there's two, cla- in the New Testament, there's two classes of prophets. There's those that occupy the office. This would be the list that's given to us in Ephesians 4. Silas and Agabus were considered prophets in the New Testament early church. And then there are those that we're talking about here that have the gift of prophecy. They're exercising the spirituals. So, for 1 Corinthians 14.31 says, all may prophesy. So, uh, we can all speak forth the word of God. Not everyone who, offer, who speaks forth the word of God occupies the office of a prophet. Um, but everyone who is in the office, that office gift of a prophet exercises that gift. And so, what is the fruit of prophecy? It is 1 Corinthians 14.3. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. If you are hearing a message from God, it should contain some of all three of these. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. And this is really how we judge Bible studies. Is it edifying? Is it exhorting? Is it comforting the people? Tongues. I think the Corinthian church was making a big deal out of this gift, and so I think Paul put it last. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to have a a raise of hands here, but I'm sure there's people in here that have the gift of tongues. And um, they're essentially the nature of tongues. There's tongues of men and there's tongues of angels. And we know that it is a language of the spirit. And so the human spirit has the ability to communicate in words that our intellect cannot grasp. And this is what's going on uh, with the gift of tongues. Uh, the glossy 
the glossa, the glossalia. The, and so if Paul sets down the rules that if someone has the gift of tongues in the general assembly and they begin to utter a, their tongue in a, a manner that can be heard, then it's, the requirement is that that tongue needs to be interpreted. But as you read through the scriptures, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, he sort of gets into more detail with this gift. Because, again, there was ignorance there. There was abuse. Um, He who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. So when you're speaking in tongues, it is your spirit communicating to the God in some way. You know, through prayer. I, I have been given this gift and I, I want to say this too. There are those who maybe you've been raised in the Pentecostal church and, and, and the speaking of tongues was one of the evidences of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's necessarily true. It can be, but it, not necessarily. It's not, I don't think it's a dogmatic way to look at it at all. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit a few months, as I indicated earlier, staying there at the altar. It wasn't until nine months later that I received the gift of tongues. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I received that gift in my prayer closet. Going before the Lord, I, was, I heard it for the first time at a prayer meeting. And I was so blown away. Like, what was that? You know, like, that's pretty cool. And then I heard an interpretation. I was like, well, that's a pretty cool gift. I would, can I have that, Lord? <laughs> and so I studied. I looked it up. I kept trying to figure it out because it was really like messing with my head. And I learned as much as I possibly could, and then I just went before the Lord. And then one day, it came out. And so, you know, hopefully that encourages someone. But that would be the private use of tongues. And it actually becomes a prayer language. When I have no idea how to pray, like I, sometimes I am just overwhelmed with stuff. Of course, you can't imagine being overwhelmed, Right. You just get into situations like, just like, I am way over my head here. God, please. And then you just, I believe that praying in tongues is your spirit being able to put together an expression to God that he hears and, 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 and it's an intercession. So, so, you know, God has sort of bound himself to this prayer. And this is how we communicate with God. This is how we give and receive from God through our prayer time with him. And so uh, the Bible says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Something happens. Now, I don't really, again, I don't understand how it happens. It just does. When you pray in, in, in tongues, your spirit is built up. There's a release of the burdens that you're sensing, and you just feel like you've, you've kind of pushed through it. And, and God has heard you. And there's a confidence that God is going to do his will. That's all I can say in regards to that. Jesus did not need to speak in tongues. He had the Spirit without measure. There's a lot of men and women who do not speak in tongues, and they are the most godly people you'd ever want to meet. Has nothing to do with, none of these gifts have anything to do with spirituality, in one sense. Because I've seen carnal people exercise spiritual gifts before. Those who do that usually have a way of drawing attention to themselves and they sort of, it sort of smells funny, if you know what I mean. So, 
God is gracious, and that's how you need to look at when you ask for these gifts. And, and then interpretation of tongues is if you have the gift of tongues, you should if you feel led to do that in the congregation, which we are free to do that here. We will wait for someone to give the interpretation of that tongue. That's scriptural. And I'm not, you don't have to get uncomfortable. It's just if God moves in that way and someone starts to speak in a tongue, we're going to wait. And that person who does that should be praying themselves for the interpretation because often God will give it to that person. Or let me just ask for sure. Anybody here know they have the gift of interpretation of tongues? You know you have that gift? So if you, <laughs> based on who's here, you, you better be praying if you give a tongue that you get the interpretation. <laughs> but it, how do we know if it's an interpretation? Because I think this is one of the abuses that I talked about earlier. A lot of times in the Pentecostal setting, someone will give a tongue and then you'll have someone say, thus saith the Lord. That's prophecy. Prophecy is God speaking to men. Tongues is man speaking to God. So if it's an interpretation of tongues, it will be a message from man to God. Praises, glory, honor, whatever is in that person's spirit and whatever they're communicating to God would come forth in the interpretation. Now, it's not a translation either. It's an interpretation of the thoughts. You could have a long, continuous utterance of tongues and have a really short interpretation or the other way around. It all, it's, it, again, it's the gift of the Spirit. So hopefully that clears up a few things. <laughs> Just remember, the gifts are bestowed for the purpose of profit, that all, as we read there, that the body might profit, the body might be built up and edified. If it's not done in love, what does he tell us in chapter 13? He might as well just be banging on a gong. It's just a clanging cymbal. So, again, I always think it's important to refer to what Jesus said about these things. And I want to end with this as we get ready for, for communion here. I referred to this earlier in John 7, 37, 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom believing in him would receive for the holy spirit was not yet given because jesus was not yet glorified and so what was going on here was the fall of the year the feast of tabernacles and in during this time they would pray for usually pray for rain and because they needed one last shot of rain so that the crops would ripen up as they would ripen up, have the nourishment they would need, and then they would have a great harvest. This is kind of what was uh, the idea behind uh, their prayers. And so, um, draw the comparisons. If we're going to have, be part of God's harvest, we need the outpouring of God's Spirit. We need to be rained upon, drenched in the presence of God, so that we can go forth and harvest reap the souls 
into the kingdom that God would have us. So what would happen in this particular Feast of Tabernacles is the priest would take a pitcher of water. They were down at the, the Guyon Spring and they would take their little you know, big pitchers and take them and they'd climb the steps and go back up uh, to the temple. And then they would sing uh, Isaiah 12.3, With joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. And then when they would get up to the altar right there in front of the steps, they would pour it out in this little funnel and it would run down on the ground. And while they were doing that, they would have these little willow twigs and myrtles of the palm all tied together. And then they would have a, a little citrus fruit. And the, after the priest would pour out all out there, this is when Jesus this signified the coming of the Spirit. And Jesus took that moment to, to say these words that I've just read there. If anyone thirst, let him come. Isn't that an incredible verse? Let him come to me and drink. Notice what he says there. As the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is where the Spirit of God is allowed to flow freely through your life. And so... This is what it's about. Always go back to what Jesus said because he never will lead us astray. Now, the worship team is going to come and we're going to close out here with communion. And I, th- I think it's quite interesting, actually, as they're coming up here. They'll set this up a little bit here. The previous chapter, Paul talked about the abuse that they were experiencing there in Corinth, with communion. They were, they actually used wine, apparently. Some of them were getting a little tipsy. And some people at their agape feast were getting in line and taking all the food and then leaving nobody, you know, the people, the end of the line got nothing. And so there was just being, there's some selfishness going on. And so he's sort of seeking to straighten some of these things out. And so, uh, this is, he just simply, report, again, going back to what Jesus said. Paul reminds them, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we take the bread, as we take the cup, let's think about what Jesus did to give us access to the Father. The veil in the temple was torn. You and I can come freely with full confidence to ask our Father whatever we're in need of. And in light of what we've covered here, after you take communion, and we're gonna, they're going to pass it out, you can go ahead and do that, fellas. As they're passing it out, I want you to contemplate what you've been taught here. There, some of you have never, maybe even thought about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some of you may have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, but you've leaked out. You sort of, you know, had a great walk at one time and you were doing wonderfully. And then there's things have happened, got too busy or whatever. And so this is why the exhortation is given to go ahead and pass it out, fellas. Um, the Bible tells us in Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That literally means be being filled. There's an acknowledgement that things change from one day to the next. 
we need a constant filling of the Spirit. There is the initial baptism that sort of brings that power in our lives, but we have to continually seek the Lord because we are clay vessels. And so if after you've taken communion, you've reflected on what the Lord has done, and you would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'd like you to come forward. That it, This, again, it's an exercise of faith. Just like you want to be saved, you ask to be. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then it takes a step of faith. You want to be prayed for, come up. We'll lay hands on you and pray for you. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you come up. We'll lay hands on and pray for you. You want to be refilled, just come. Have, meet with the Lord. Allow Him to give you these gifts, the blessing from heaven, the joy of His Spirit. Father, I ask that you'd bless this time now as we turn this over to the work of your Spirit, as we take communion, as we wait upon you, Lord. We ask that you would touch each one of us in a very unique and special way so that we know we have what you have for us. In Jesus' name.